Good morning again. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 1? And the portion we'll be reading is from verse 67 down to verse 79. All right, you can follow along with me and I'll read. <clears throat> this is God's word. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, as of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy promised, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord and prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because, the tender, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, help us now as we consider your word. Uh, Lord, would you be pleased to speak to us and reveal yourself to us? And Lord, would you help us then to respond in the way that we ought to? Lord, lead us to uh, love and affection for Christ. Lead us to submission and trusting in him. Lord, lead us away from our sin. And would you give us the wonderful gift of faith that would help us to come to Jesus Christ? We know, that, Lord, that this is all done by your grace. So be pleased to be gracious this morning to us. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're not too sure who Zechariah is, um, he's the father of John the Baptist. And uh, we didn't read the portion that explains this, but just to help you understand a little bit about this prophecy, Zechariah, he was visited by an angel. And um, he's pretty old. He's advanced in years. And he's, he's told, you're going to have a child. And he doesn't really believe that he's going to have a child. He's, he's a little bit old, so he doubts. And um, he doesn't really have the faith that would sort of grasp this promise. And as a consequence, Zechariah, his speech is taken from him. From the conception of John the Baptist all the way to sort of eight days after his birth. So for nine months, this man cannot say a single word. In fact, he goes sort of old school and jumps on a tablet and tells people what he wants to say. And not the tablets that we used to, but actual sort of tablets. Um, a group of people say, hey, we're going to name your son after you. We're going to name him Zechariah. And he goes, his name is John. Writes it down on a tablet. He goes, this is, his name is John. So that's how he's communicating. And this prophecy is the first sort of proclamation that he makes when his voice returns to him. And it's, it's actually really profound, and we'll come back to the idea later. But this is what he spends his first words on this wonderful prophecy, and he's moved by the Holy Spirit to give this prophecy. Now we'll go through um, we'll go through this passage, but I just want to give you the sermon in a sentence, and then you'll see where everything fits in to what we're um, actually studying this morning. Um, so here is the sermon in a sentence. If anyone says, "Hey, what was the sermon about?" Hopefully, you can say the sentence and actually say, it, and it was actually fulfilled in the rest of the the sermon. Um, but this is, this is it. God 
visits his people and redeems his people so that we can serve him and share him. There you go. Pretty simple. Eh? God visits his people and redeems his people so that we can serve him and share him. That's really all we're going to consider this morning. And um, hopefully it's a short time. We'll see how we go. The first thing I want to turn your attention to is verse 68. You'll see there where I've got the first half of that sentence. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, we'll focus first on that word visited. And I'm sure you know what this word visited means. I'm sure you visit places all the time. You're visiting here at church, some of you, for the first time, maybe. Um, you go and visit other people. Now, here's, here's a, one, one thing I want you to think about. Um, think of someone who this Christmas you just would love to visit. Can you think of anyone? Who's someone in your life that you just think, man, I just, I can't wait to go visit this person. And it would be wonderful if I could visit them on Christmas. You might be thinking, oh, I just miss them and I haven't seen them in a long time. And I just love their company. You might be thinking, oh, they just make the best Christmas ham and all their food is delicious. And I just really want to go visit them for, the, for this reason. You might say, they're just a, a box of fluffy ducks and so funny and hilarious, and they just make me laugh every time I'm around them. You might be thinking that. So there are things about a certain person that would draw you to go and visit someone. Now, you might have someone on the opposite end, and you might think, here is a person that I just really don't want to visit on Christmas. And if I said, why is that? You might say, oh, just, they just think they're funny, but they're not. Um, you might say, just the food is terrible. You might say, I just don't like their company. You know, it just, just brings, the, brings the whole atmosphere down. For whatever reason, there are things that draw us to people to go and visit them. And there are things that repel us from people to go and visit them. When we consider this passage, and it says, Zechariah is blessing the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited his people. Now, God doesn't think the way that we think. We go and visit people because we, there are things about them that we enjoy and love. There are draw cards for us. We want to go and visit someone. We visit people on the basis of, oh, you know, we love them because there are things that are about them that are lovable. And so why wouldn't we want to go visit them? Now, God does not think the same way about you. He doesn't look down and say, I just love that person's company. Man, I just love to go be with them. They're so funny. They just bring the mood right up into the sky. You know, they're just so relatable. They really love me. They listen to me. They acknowledge me as God. They obey my every command. It should be surprising to us that a God who is so holy would visit a people so sinful. But he does. He visits us not based on our draw cards. He visits us not based on how lovable you are. And that should be good news to you. Because if he visited you based on your merits, based on your attributes, based on your draw cards, you'd be sitting there waiting for a long time. He wouldn't show up if it was based on your merits. In fact, if he did show up, the only reason he would show up is like how a police officer shows up to a criminal's house. You know, the criminal who's sitting there in the lounge and gets a knock on the door from the police officer, he's not thinking, oh, I better turn the jug on. No, I've got company. No, he knows very well that he has broken the law and the one who represents the law is now knocking on his door. Now, when we think about visitation, we think, why on earth would a God like this 
holy and righteous, the Lord God of Israel. Why would he visit a people like us if there is nothing that can draw us to him or draw him to us except for our sin, which he will then visit with his wrath? And the, the question sort of stands out, well, why would he visit? Why? And that's a question that I thought we could answer quickly. And um, to answer that, in a, in a sentence, because he said he would. Look at verse 70. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Why is God visiting? Because he said he would. He said it to his prophets of old. And we should be very comforted by this, that when God makes a promise, he will keep it. If God says he will do something, there is no stopping that something from happening. And so he says in verse 70, he spoke by the mouth of the prophets. Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers. If he promises, it will happen. And there is no stopping it. And to remember his holy covenant. He will not forget what he has said that he would do. He will do everything and accomplish everything that he has ever said he will do. We see there he's said he will do it. So he will do it. Now, not only that, but the big comforting thing is not just that he said he would do it, but he visits us because it's based on him and not based on you. Remember, remember, if it was based on you, there would either be no visit or a visit of wrath coming to your house. But he visits us not based on our merits, but based on his mercy. And if you look at verse 72, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. Look at verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. Now, that's a wonderful thing for us. Why does God visit us? Because he said he would. And because it's not based on us, but based on him. He's a merciful God who will visit people like us. And now the question is, how does he visit people like us? And Zechariah, who's giving this prophecy, he mentions his son, John the Baptist. Um, he mentions him in verse 76 and verse 78, which we'll look at soon. But he's really talking about the prophet who comes before the Lord. If you are familiar with the Old Testament, um, pretty much everyone who's living in Israel who is familiar with the Old Testament, they're all waiting for someone, the Messiah. But they know that before the Messiah comes, a prophet must come before him to make, make the path clear, make straight the way of the Lord. And they know that this person must come first. And this is who Zechariah is talking about. He's saying, John, you are this person who's making the way clear for the Lord to come. So how does he visit us? He, he visits us through the Messiah. He visits us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if, if you're not convinced of that, look at verse 69. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, anyone who's familiar with the Old Testament, when they, when they see in the house of his servant David, they understand that he is talking about the Messiah, the Christ, the one who was chosen to bring salvation to the world. So that's how he visits us. Now, <clears throat> we've talked about why he visits us and how he visits us. But what is the purpose of his visitation? That's really where we want to get to. And that's where the second point comes in. He visits his people and redeems his people. Now, that's super important. And this idea of redemption, um, we, we have to at least have some grasp on it. If, if you have ever had a coupon and you go redeem it, you know that there is a transaction. If you, if you know that there is something in a shop that you, in, you have to go and buy, you know that there is a transaction. You give something and they give you something back. You redeem what you want. And redemption has a price. 
Now, forgiving sins is not free. We freely receive um, the grace of God, but it wasn't free for him to forgive us. Sins cost the life of this Messiah. So why did he come to redeem us? What is this visitation for? For redemption's sake, so that he could actually save people and purchase them. Now, here's something they have to remember. Christmas is wonderful, and that's what we're here to remember for the last two weeks. We thought, let's talk about sort of Advent things. Let's talk about Christmas. But the reason why Christmas is super important, the reason why visitation is absolutely important is because redemption is important. In other words, what I'm saying to you is that Christmas is important because we need Easter. Easter is the most important holiday that we could ever reflect on. It's the most important thing that has ever happened in human history. But Easter is only possible because Christmas happened first. But can you imagine a Christmas without Easter? Friends, if, if, if there was no Easter, if there was no redemption in this visitation, it was only visitation and no redemption, Christmas would be a nightmare to us. It would be a reminder that there is a holy God who is among us, who is so much more better than us, who is so infinitely pure and eternally good, and we can never hold a candle to him, and we are never good enough to be in his presence. It's just a reminder of the distance that we have between him and us. So if Christmas existed, but there was no Easter, Christmas would not be a celebration time for us. It would be a time of grief and of mourning. And so we're happy to see that not only did he visit, but he came in this visitation to redeem his people. And so that's important to understand. Christmas is important because Easter is important. We need Easter, so we need Christmas before we can ever enjoy Easter. As I said, this redemption costs something. It is not for free. It costs the life of this Messiah who was coming to bring this salvation. And it's important to understand that he is able to bring this salvation. In verse 69, again, it says there, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, this idea of a horn of salvation. If you think of uh, Old Testament times, a horned beast, a horned oxen, um, they represent strength. There is this strength in this salvation that Christ brings. Not only does it cost them everything, not, not only does it cost all of the resources of heaven, but it is strong enough to save anyone. He brings us a horn of salvation, and that's important to understand. Now, we've said that he visits his people and he redeems his people so that we can serve him and so that we can share him. Now, if you didn't think it was enough that he came to visit, but he comes to redeem, not just redeem good people, he redeems the worst people. He visits the worst people to redeem them. And then now, not only does he redeem them, <clears throat> but if you look down at verse 74, it says that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Now, I don't know if you have a dream job or if anyone's ever asked you, hey, what's, what's your dream job? I don't know if you have an answer for it. Or if, if someone's ever asked you, hey, if money was not an issue, what would you do for the rest of your life? And someone might say, well, why would you want to do that? You might say, man, I'd love to work at Tesla. Why is that? Because Elon is just, he's a genius. I just want to be there when they go to Mars. You know, I, I just want to be involved in all of these things. You might say, I want to work for Bill Gates. Because look at all the software development. Why don't I just go there? There's so many things that attract me to it. But what God has done is not only has he come and visited this people who there is nothing appealing about, but he's then saved them 
And then he goes a step further. He's going, now, not only have I saved you, but now you can come and work for me. Can you imagine that? Better than any dream job this world has to offer. The Lord says, now you are able to come and serve me. Is there any better job than serving the eternal God? There, there can't be. There is no better boss. There is no better Lord. There is no better master than this one. And to be his slave is to, is to be higher than any king in this world. To be his servant is a higher position than any position that you could ever achieve in this world. You could be the president or the prime minister. You could be a king. And still, that is nothing compared to being a slave of God, of being a, a servant of God. And that is what you are invited to when you are saved by him. And now here's the challenge. Have you been saved? And if you answer yes, then what should logically follow is, are you serving him? Because saved people will naturally serve. People who, who Jesus has fished will naturally go and start fishing. People who are following Jesus will then bring other people to follow Jesus. If you have been saved, it is only logical and reasonable that you are serving. And so there is a challenge for you to consider. Um, are you serving? Can you say about your life that you are serving him? Not only do we serve him um, by living a life that is worthy of the calling, walking in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, but we serve him also by our words, sharing him. And that's sort of the last point that I wanted to get to and press on hopefully the most is we are, um, he visits his people to redeem his people so that we can serve him and share him. And I wanted to emphasize the sharing part in serving him because that's what Zechariah is doing. Now for nine months, I don't know if you can imagine it, but for nine months, can you imagine not being able to say a word, seeing your kids play up and you just want to say something, but you can't, you have to write it down and who knows if they're going to read it or not. Or, or, or you really feel like a certain food over another food, but you can't say it and you just have to, wouldn't that just be a pain if you couldn't talk for nine months? What's the first thing you'd say after nine months of not being able to talk? You know, it's easy to complain. It's easy to say, man, that was a drag. It's easy to focus on yourself and say, oh, I'm so happy that I can talk again. But look at what this man does. Look at what Zechariah does. First words out of his mouth. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And then he goes on this verse by verse um, prophecy. And what he's doing in this prophecy is he's pointing to Jesus. What does Zechariah do with his words? He does the most important thing that words could ever do. What's the most important thing that words can ever do? Point to Jesus Christ. Point people to him. Bring him glory. Lift his name up. There is no better thing that human words can do than to point to Jesus Christ. And you see that what the first word Zechariah has after this nine-month-long silence is he points people to Jesus Christ. And now we bring our attention to his son. He only spends two verses on his son. The rest of it he spends on the Messiah. Look at verse 76. And you, child, this is talking about John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Zechariah, after this silence, is pointing people to Jesus. And what he's saying about John is saying, John, for the rest of your life, your life's purpose is to point to Jesus. 
And there is nothing better that John the Baptist could ever do than to point to the Lord Jesus Christ, because in pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and making his way clear, he's giving people knowledge of salvation because they are sinners. Friend, if you do not know Jesus Christ, then this morning you have come to a place where the, the most important thing that we do is bring this to you and, and make Jesus known. And if you do not know Jesus, then you've come to the right place. And for the believer, this is especially a challenge to us. If you believe in Jesus, um, think about what the most important thing you can do with your words. Uh, or what is the most important thing you could do with your words? If I say to you, <clears throat> what's the most important thing you, you're going to do after church today? If you evaluate your week and I said, hey, what's the most important thing you've done this week? And if at all this week you have pointed to Jesus, I can, I can say without hesitation, that is the most important thing you have done this week, as you have pointed to Jesus. We do that by living a life worthy of the gospel, of our salvation. We do that by pointing people through our lives. You know, we, we, there is a light that we shouldn't hide. Remember in that psalm that we had earlier, a, a light is not meant to be put under a basket. No, it's meant to be out in the open. It's meant to be put on a pedestal so that people can see it. It's meant to bring light to everything. So we do that with our lives, yeah? We do that by living a, a holy life, growing in sanctification, growing towards him. But we do that as well with our words. And the most important words that we ever speak, mark this when, when you reflect over your whole life, at the end of your life, the most important words that you ever shared were the ones that pointed to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're saved for. Now, God doesn't just save people from something. He saves people to something. He saves people to serve. He saves people to share. And if you are saved, that is what you are called to do as well. And I don't mean to beat, you, beat anyone up over, over the head if you haven't been sharing the gospel. No, what I want to do is remind you how wonderful it is that Jesus on Christmas came to visit you. That Jesus on Christmas came to visit, not just to say hello, not just for a cup of tea, not just so you knew how good he was and how bad you were, but to redeem you. Now, with news that good, why would you want to hide it? With news that good, why wouldn't you want to share it? With news that good, why wouldn't you want to serve him in this wonderful way? So it's not just, a, you know, I'm not, I don't want you to come to the church this morning and get a beating. I want you to come to church and be encouraged that this is some wonderful news that should be displayed and proclaimed, that should be on your lips. You should want to say it. You should want to tell it. And, um, Perhaps you can think about an opportunity that you may have this week to do the very thing uh, that we're talking about this morning. Think about the most important thing you could do in this coming week and perhaps what opportunities God will give you to do them. Now let's ask him for his help as we reflect on that. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And uh, Lord, we can see it in ourselves that we are not perfect, but your word makes it crystal clear that we are sinners. We are those who are left in darkness, who sit in the valley of darkness. And Lord, we need the light 
the sun who rises and comes and brings light to show us who we are and show us who he is. So Lord, grant that to us this morning. Grant to us, Lord, a, a, an evaluation of ourselves, an estimation of ourselves that is accurate. And grant to us, Lord, um, uh, eyes that can see how wonderful Jesus is. Eyes that will behold how marvelous he is. And Lord, would you draw us to him instead of away from him? We thank you so much that he is the one who came to visit us, who put on human flesh and dwelt among us. He, um, he was pleased to dwell among men. And so we're so thankful, Lord, that he came not based on what we did and what we have to offer, but on who you are, a loving God and merciful God. Lord, we also thank you that we are not saved just to live somewhere in neutral, but we are saved to serve you. So Lord, help us to really feel the joy of being able to serve you. Lord, we know that we ought to serve you. We know that we should serve you. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to want to serve you. Lord, would you align our desires with what we ought to do? Would we not only serve because we ought to, but because we want to? Grant us, Lord, a heart that would be led in this way. And Lord, we thank you that throughout the whole Bible, it is pointing to Jesus. The most important book in the whole world is pointing to the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. We thank you that Zechariah and his short prophecy is pointing to Jesus Christ. We thank you that John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets, spent his life pointing to Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that we are in a position more privileged than John. We uh, are after the death and the resurrection and the ascension. We have the privilege of much more knowledge than John had. So Lord, help us in our, in our privileged place to take a hold of it and to, to have on our lips the best news that anyone could ever hear. Lord, bring to mind those who do not know the gospel. Bring to our minds those who uh, are far away from you, our workmates, our family members, our friends, schoolmates, whoever they are, Lord, bring them to mind. And Lord, help us to be so full in our hearts with compassion for them and a zeal for, for you to be glorified that we couldn't help but say something. Lord, we're asking that you would grant all of this for the sake of your glory, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, we'll stand again and we'll sing two more songs. <laughs>